Hi there, my name is Preston Puto. Welcome to the Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. This is where we share some of our messages from Sunday mornings. So we're glad you're here to listen. We'd love for you to join us in person. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. At our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. There's a song that I love, and it goes like this. Wise men still seek him. Those on earth who realize how much they need him, following Jesus wherever he may lead them, wise men still seek him. And that's been one of my favorite songs. It's kind of like a bluegrass song. I should have found it for us. But I love this song because I feel like there's something that I have a lot of affinity with the wise men. Not because I'm particularly wise or I got a camel or all of those sorts of things, but because I often feel like I got to be invited into the story of God. There should really be no reason why uh, a Gentile like me would have any clue about who Jesus, some guy uh, born in a stable, in a manger, so far away, would have anything to do with the life of Preston. And here I am today seeking him. In fact, with my whole life seeking him and seeking to follow him. What is this about? What does it say about the heart of God that people like Preston and Manny, and maybe you too, would come into right relationship with God in Jesus. What does that say about the heart of God? What is God about? Sometimes we have to pause and go, what is in God's imagination? What is God daydreaming about that he would say, I'm really interested in knowing and loving and being known by and loved by my people from around the world? And I think we can come to some understanding of this through these wise men. I like them. They're, they're kind of novel, interesting people, but I think that we'll explore here today and we'll discover something about them that makes them even weirder than maybe we thought. <laughs> we like to put a picture of them in our head, but I think that they're actually quite strange and wonderful. The Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, I've been there a few times, we're going again in March, but the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, it is the oldest continually used church in the world. And it is ancient, very, very old. It was built over the place where the first Christians, they would gather to worship. So you can imagine that Jesus was born actually not in a barn off to the side uh, that was half open for some reason. We love all these pictures of these half open barns. That's probably not what it was. It was most likely, in fact, archaeologists look at this and it was most likely a cave and they would build a house over the cave and the people would put their animals underneath because it would keep them warm. And uh, people live very close to their animals. It's odd to us, but they did. They had, they'd have their animals, and they would often have some spaces in there. And it's likely in the kind of the lower basement animal storage room that would have been really good that if you have a young lady going into labor, and there's a whole bunch of people sleeping upstairs, it's probably good if she's doing that, you know, not where the rest of them are. You know, it's, it's kindness. Think of it as just sheer gentle kindness. Anyway, so she's having her baby in this lower area. Well, as time went by, the people of God, these early Christians, they began to gather at this place and worship there until eventually some of the Roman emperors of that time they, and rulers, they didn't like that. And so they ended up putting a, uh, 
like they did with a lot of Christian sites, they ended up putting a pagan temple over it, which just served to mark it. So when the early Roman Empire turned Christian, and they declared Christianity is not outlawed, in fact, we embrace it, then they were able, Constantine's mother, Helena, she was able to go to these sites, and all the Christians are like, that's the place, that's the place, you put a temple on it, I don't know, you tried to keep us away, but we all know. And so eventually they built on it the Church of the Nativity. Well, guess, get this, in 614, a bunch of Persians, and this is going to tie in, a bunch of Persians came through, and they destroyed many of these churches. But when they walked into the Church of the Nativity, with their torches and their sticks ready to do some damage, they walked in, and what did they discover? On a whole wall was a bunch of Persian Zoroastrian priests, the wise men, <laughs> the magi. They're, they're a big mural there, and they all stood back, and they're like, whoa, that's us. Ah, uh, okay, boys, let's move on to the next one. Let's leave this one here. And what it ended up doing was it ended up preserving uh, this most holy site. <laughs> and it wasn't destroyed completely by these guys. Persian Zoroastrian priests. What is this? Today, wise and powerful people from around the world visit the Church of the Nativity. I, I have a couple pictures here. Uh, down below, this is uh, President Barack Obama. Now you can go in, down these steps, into what's called the Nativity Grotto. It is kind of caked with layers of incense from an eternity of people worshiping there. And there's one little area where there's like this gold star down below that's embedded in the ground where, where, uh, where ancient people said that's where Jesus was born. And then over on this other area, just maybe 10 feet away, is this little place where they say Jesus was laid. It's kind of like a stone manger thing covered now in gold and stuff. And so today, wise men still come. What is this? I got another one here. This is, uh, this is the, the Pope. And that's that little thing that looks like it's a, it's a um, fireplace. That's where you put your head down below. And that's this gold star you can kiss. And a lot of people do. I think it's a vector for COVID. But it's definitely something there. But you can see it's dark and dingy. And, but still, this dark, dingy room. Wise men still come. I found this next one here. Uh, just these uh, priests of some kind dressed all in gold and all of this still coming to this dark and dingy room. It was actually in one cave over from it that Jerome translated uh, the Bible into Latin. <laughs> this was a place that for wise men continued to come for inspiration and wonder. The Magi, they had this soul deep longing for Jesus. And they were overjoyed when they found him. And today millions search for Jesus' light in their darkness. Well, who were these magi? Well, we have songs of these wise men. We have a song that apparently you wrote because no one else in the world knows about it, but it's a good song. We sing about them. We wonder about them. They show up in our pictures and our greeting cards. And I, today I think we might be surprised at who God welcomed into his story and who came to bow and worship before God. In fact, in this story uh, that we capture here in Scripture, uh, it mentions worship several times. These people came to worship. Well, the Magi, they are first mentioned in the book of Daniel. Uh, remember, God's people, they were taken to Babylon hundreds of years before, and they were in exile. 
The land of Israel, they were ravished and it was entirely in ruin because of the Babylonians, these imperialistic people who came through and they tore everything up. They took a whole bunch of people away. They put hooks in their noses and they drug them off and they killed most of them, left a few poor people back to just farm the land and they took, and they took a few of the smart people with them, people that they could use, put them to good work. Well, Daniel, this prophet of God, he loved God and he went in and he ended up in service to the Babylonian kings. He joined the crew of wise men, these magi. The Babylonian king, he kept magicians, he kept sorcerers, he kept astrologers and enchanters, and apparently he's like, hey, we'll throw in a few prophets of this Jewish God in the mix too. It can't hurt. We're going to have a group of wise people, people I can turn to. But in the story of Daniel, the king has a dream, and none of these people were wise enough to interpret the dream, except for Daniel. And so Daniel, he interprets this dream and makes sense of a moment that no one else could. And this king was amazed by it. And Daniel, he has a vision himself. In Daniel 7, it says this. And Daniel's a pretty trippy book. But he says this. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Here's Daniel 500, 600 years before Jesus comes, a wise man living in Babylon with all of these other people, and he has this vision of Jesus. He says, there's going to be one who comes who is better than any king. And his rule will never end. Well, eventually, a bunch of these people, Daniel, he's thrown in the lion's den. There's a whole bunch of very interesting stories in the book of it. But all these Jews, they end up coming back. And they rebuild the temple, and the story continues on. But we have a story in there of Daniel. He does bow to worship. He bows twice a day to worship. And the people see that, and they want to throw him in the lion's den for actually worshiping. These people, in their great knowledge and wisdom, what do they do? They worship. It's their appropriate response. So who, who came to Bethlehem? Who were these Persian people? And what were they doing looking for this Messiah? Could they have had some residual memory from hundreds of years before that there would be this super individual, this king, this son of man who could approach God's throne himself and be the king of the whole world? Did they still have that? Were these, uh, now the Jews had, had mostly gone, so were these people, uh, were they sorcerers? <laughs> were they magicians? Were they astrologers? Were they watching the skies? Did they weird make weird concoctions? Were they tracking with these ancient prophecies? And did God speak to them about what was coming? Well, whatever the case is, these magi in these ancient stories, they make this comeback here. <laughs> they know something about Jesus. They're expectant about something about Jesus. Something that makes them wait centuries, and then somehow they see something that we don't totally get except some star in the sky that triggers them to say, we're on, boys. Let's head it. <laughs> we're going to cross for weeks and months to travel over the desert to somehow find this baby who is born. So the Magi, they see a star. 
maybe they were, were magicians. Maybe they were somebody that maybe a good Jewish couple wouldn't allow into their presence, right? Who wants to allow these weird Zoroastrian priests shaking bells and heaven knows what they're doing. Maybe they got bones attached to them. But they're coming in to the story. And they're coming in full force to do what anybody in this story should do. And it says, they came to worship. First they went to Herod and they said, where is this king? We come to worship him. He's like, whoa, what king? You're telling me there's something going on here? There's a king under my nose? I'd like to meet him too and worship him. Sounds fine. Let me know where he's at, please. But they're smart enough. These guys are smart. They go, no, no, no. We know what the kinds of kings are. We've had a Nebuchadnezzar Babylonian king. We know when we're in the presence of a Herod king. We want the true king. We want the king we've been longing for, the one that we can actually kneel down in front of. And I don't know where they had hair coming out of. I don't know what these guys looked like or what they smelled like. But they were suddenly involved in this story. And they were some of the first worshippers of Jesus. This is surprising to me. And so my question is this. What in God's heart would summon and include these magi? What is it about God's nature that he would include the weirdest of the weird, smart dudes with bones and weird noises and songs that we've never heard and all of these things. Heaven knows what they ate, what they did, what they came riding in on. We don't even know how many. We say three, but there is a bunch of them. And they brought a whole bunch of things that you give to somebody who is about to be buried, which is frankincense and myrrh. Gold is probably welcome. Who are these? You should read this as these are the weirdest characters of the story. And they're coming in to worship. And God is like, that's how my story begins. <laughs> my story begins with the weirdest ones coming in from afar. The outsiders, the true outsiders, are being welcomed in to the story. Let me read Matthew 2 and you'll get a sense of it. So when you're hearing me read, think of, just draw a really odd picture of some Zoroastrian priests and, and then you'll be getting close, okay? Two, nine. So they'd gone to Herod and said, hey, we are looking for the king. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. When you find him, come back and tell me so I can go and worship him too. Well, you know that Herod, did. well, he, he showed his true colors pretty soon after, right? Um, and went and tried to kill everybody there, or all the babies. Well, after this interview, the wise men went their way. The star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Did you know joy is a fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> These people are full of joy. They've come far. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When it came time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Just this little picture. These people who come and they respond very appropriately. Open hands, generosity, bowing down, giving gifts, and then these guys, I guess they're guided by something, they're guided by stars and dreams, but here they come in and here they go out. And you wonder what Mary is thinking about these people, right? With a bucket of frankincense and myrrh and going, what was that? Is this Jesus really going to be including these kinds of people in the story? <laughs> well, around the world, people have been waiting for Jesus. Books have been written about cultures who have amazing stories like these magi. 
when missionaries, here's a few stories of people who are way outside of God's story, apparently, but God had been working in them long before anyone else showed up on the scene. In fact, there's this most interesting one. When missionaries went to Burma, there was a group called the Karen people. Uh, No, these are not people who cause grief at restaurants. They're called the Karen people in Burma. And these Karen people, they found that they were looking, longing for God for centuries. The Karen people, they had this oral tradition that they were once given a golden book of wisdom and taught about the one true, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. But the Karen, they lost this book either in a field or it was eaten by ants. This is their tradition. And they did not have it anymore. But the oral tradition says that people across the sea would one day come to them and tell them about this one true God. And so Hindu and Buddhist people kept going to the Karen people and saying, hey, it ain't happening. Whatever your golden book is about, it isn't happening. There isn't one true God. There's a lot of them and let us tell you about them. And they refused. So the Karen people, they had to move into the hills. And they had to stay away and they were persecuted. Because they had this belief that there was one true God coming. Well, one day, a couple hundred years ago, a missionary was there talking to some of the Hindu and Buddhist people in in the area. And wouldn't you believe it, these Karen people got wind that down in town there was somebody who was talking about one, Jesus, who has come. And he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's all-good. So guess what they did? They went down to town, they abducted the missionary. They strapped him up, hauled him in, and this guy's thinking, this is my martyrdom, right? I'm being drugged into the mountain people, and they brought him there, and they wouldn't let him go. And they said, we hear that you know something. We, for a long time, have been longing for the coming of Jesus, and, or for the coming of this God, and you are saying what the things are that we've been longing for. Tell us, and we aren't going to let you go until you do. <laughs> and so, he went from kind of scared to probably pretty overjoyed that he wasn't going to be d- destroyed. So today, the Karen people are a pocket of Christians in Burma. They're often persecuted, but they are deeply committed to Jesus. I got a few pictures of them here. They're celebrating Christmas in Burma up in the hills. Every year, they call this time of year Sweet December because it's the beginning of their Christmas season. According to one elder, 76-year-old Maula of the Mathra district, she says this, The Karens celebrate Christmas because Christ came and purchased us heart and mind, and also saved us. Christmas is done in remembrance of him. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to save us. Some people killed him, but he rose again and is with us always. We believe and celebrate Christmas for the same reason as other Christians all over the world. Look at them. This is them celebrating Christmas. They have foot races out there. Next photo. I got a few of these ones here. They are reproducing. There's Mary and a baby uh, wrapped. I think it's actually a coconut wrapped in a a thing, but I I wasn't sure. And that's uh, one of the Christians there as they are celebrating this time of year. So when the Magi went to find Jesus, they did. But they also had to be secret. Herod, the king of the land, was on their trail. They worshipped Jesus and left. And eventually Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, they had to flee too. Christians around the world are often fleeing. In Iraq, in the land of the Persians, there's these group called the Syriac Christians. And there's only a few of them left, actually. They've endured persecution for 2,000 years. In the past decade, over 80% of these remaining Christians have had to flee. But even so, they gather to celebrate Jesus. 
The Magi of Persia will seek him and know his love. No Herod will stop him. Show the next picture, please. These are the Syriac Christians, the Persian Christians in Iraq who are lighting a fire on Christmas Eve and gathering around. They know the light and the hope of the coming Jesus. In East Java, Indonesia, less than 5% of people there are Christians. Some have been persecuted for their faith, but often the government does not allow the Christians to build church buildings. It's against the law. Still, they gather under the pressure to celebrate Jesus' birth, and they light in the darkness at Christmas. You can show the picture of these. Look how many of them are there lighting candles. In Bethlehem, Christians are Palestinian, and, uh, and I have a chance to meet Palestinian Christians when, when I've been there. Now, they make up only 2% of the population in the place where Jesus was born. Because of the complex pol- political uh, social situation, you can go to the next photo here. Um, Christians are often caught in the middle, uh, and there's very few remaining. But they gather at the Church of the Nativity, and they worship. And they're the ones that made our candles that we're going to use uh, on Christmas Eve. The very place where Jesus was born. So from our brother Manny, from Sri Lanka, <laughs> to Burma, to Iraq, to East Java, to Bethlehem. In each place, a minority of Christians, they are lighting candles. <laughs> they're lighting candles because they hold on to this great promise that was given to them. Isaiah wrote it. He said, the people walk in darkness and they've seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. It resonates back to Daniel, doesn't it? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Isn't this amazing? People around the world are gathering to celebrate the light that they found. And we gather with them. The good news is this. Something in God's heart. Something makes a way for people to come to him. It might just be these little group of wise men. (laughs) I'm glad the story starts with these Zoroastrian priest strange people. The story starts with them and builds out from there. Jesus comes to us. And something in God's heart makes a way for them to do that. Yesterday I was invited to speak to the, uh, to, the Muslim, uh, to the Muslim gathering here in our city. They invited me. And it was great. It was such a joy to be with them. They were so hospitable. They welcomed me to share about the hope we have in Jesus and Christmas. They wanted to hear about Christians at this time. And they will likely be at our Christmas Eve service. What a beautiful picture. As something in God's imagination continues to draw people to himself. Something in God's dream creates paths for those seeking him. More than find them, they are included. They are part of the story. Something in God's heart and character seeks absolute love for these astrologists. And come and be filled with what they spent generations looking for. 1 Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And in every corner of the planet, there might only be 2% here and 3% here, but let me tell you, the hope of Jesus is for the 2%. The hope of Jesus is for those who are on the fringes and wondering, am I included in the story of God? Is Preston, this Gentile 
guy with, I don't know, I got some Nordic ancestry or something. But somehow the hope of Jesus came into my life. And I'm grateful. However you come to the, di- to the manger. I don't know if you've come over desert hills. I don't know if you've come over lakes and streams. I don't know if you've come direct to the manger and to Jesus. Or if you've come on a winding road. Whatever you have done. Whatever you are. Wherever you come from. Let me say this. That your story has an author. Your story has somebody who has written it. And if God, who is the great cosmic creator of all that we see through times and eon past, he might also be a great storyteller too. Could God be such a great storyteller that he is authoring your story in all the weaves and turns and bringing your story right to him? The love that you have, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. Your love started with him. We think Because God first imagined you. He thought you up. He said, I really want an Andrea Conway in the world. She would, that's a good idea. Let's gather, let's do one of those, right? This is good. He imagined Andrea. You speak the name of Jesus because God first spoke your name. And when he spoke your name, he said, ah, that's good. I like the way it rolls off my tongue. Tim. Him. Oh, it's a good one, right? You learn because you have a teacher who is showing you the truth of his love and his goodness for you, that he is for you. He's not against you. He is calling you. You remember because you are remembered by the one who made you. You are never once outside of his imagination and his thoughts for you. You are not once forgotten through the sleep or the morning or the pain. You stand because God grounds you. He sets you on a solid rock. He is your shelter in the storm. Your life is a song of God's love for this world, for you and for me. This is the great hope we have. Light in the darkness, come. In this week leading up to Christmas Eve, I hope that you would discover all the ways that you are included in his story. Jesus, he has made a way. His story does not start on Christmas Eve. The Bible says he's been there from the beginning. But he needed to make a way for you in his story. And that's why he came. He has always been. Eternally. But you just showed up on the scene and he's like, I want these strange people to be in on it too. I come to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We love because you first loved us. We think because you first imagined us. We speak because you first spoke of us. We learn, we remember, we stand, we live, all because you are the grounds of it all. Heavenly Father, you made a way. You came to us. Wise men still seek him. Those on earth who realize how much they need him. Following Jesus wherever he may lead them. Wise men still seek him. May we be those strange and unusual people from far and wide who've heard, or I should say who have seen the great light, who have seen the star, who see the glow, and come close and say, I need this light. I need the one who made me to come to me. And so we join 
with so many who have bowed before. Bowed before the one who made us, who has come to us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me.